FanDuel released Oregon's win total at 10.5. The only other team that high in the Big Ten, Ohio State. That's just how it should be. Here we go. You are Locked On Ducks, your daily podcast on the Oregon Ducks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Yes, it is that time once again for Locked On Ducks. I'm your host, Spencer McLaughlin. Thank you so much for making this your first listen or your first view of the day. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day and your number one source to stay up to date with the Ducks. So if you have not already, please like, comment, subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen to or watch this show that's got a new look to it and is brought to you today by FanDuel. Make every moment more. Right now, new customers join today and you'll get $150 in bonus bets if your first bet of $5 or more wins. Visit fandle.com slash locked on to get started. So there is a little bit of a different look. I'm in the same room doing the show. It's just that we've resituated things. Hopefully you like it. Let me know in the YouTube comments or hit me up on X, formerly known as uh, Twitter, at S. McLaughlin CFB is the handle or at Locked on Ducks. By the way, uh, I got this shirt. For those listening on podcasts, I snagged myself a uh, a shirt that has the words, quote, the grass is damn green in Eugene. I kind of like it. Came in the mail, picked it up not that long before I hopped on here to record. So Oregon's got a really high win total. Oregon's win total is 10.5. It's actually one of the highest in all of college football. The only teams that I have seen at the power level, of which there are now just four conferences because of the realignment nonsense, that have got a win total of 10 or higher, Oregon, Ohio State, and Georgia. I think Texas might be in there too. I'm going to double check that real quick. That's uh, SEC Texas to you, by the way. Their win total is indeed 10 and a half. So Oregon is in really good company. And you know what? They should be. You've got a third-year head coach who just proved that he got better from year one to year two holds himself to a high standard, so I have no reason to think that he's not going to get even better come year three. You've got a transfer portal class that ranks inside the top five. You've got a recruiting class that ranks inside the top five. And you have a litany of returners who are going to make a big impact and be all-conference caliber players for the Ducks in 2024. You've got a veteran quarterback. You've got a backup quarterback situation even that is going to be pretty stable because Dante Moore has got starting experience. How many other teams can say they've got a five-star quarterback as their backup who has started Power 5 football games before? Not that many. So if something, God forbid, were to happen to Dylan Gabriel, Oregon's got about as solid of a backup quarterback situation as you can ask for. Probably the best one they have had since Brian Bennett. The, the, the quintessential, I mean the quintessential backup quarterback Brian Bennett. There is nothing that I would like more than for Brian Bennett to be signed to a long-term contract to be Oregon's backup forever and always. He was absolutely outstanding in that particular role. But Oregon's got the quarterback situation figured out. I think Jordan James can have an all-conference caliber season at running back. You've got three returning receivers from last year. Two highly rated recruits ready to make a jump. That's Jurion Dickey and Kyler Casper. One of those returning receivers, Tez Johnson, set the Oregon single season receptions record and had a thousand yard campaign. And then you bring in Evan Stewart, the five star, and you bring Terrence Ferguson back at tight end. And you bring back three starters along the offensive line. One guy who was basically a starter and you bring in a sixth year transfer from Indiana. And then on the defensive side of the ball, 
there are more questions. I think there are more questions on Oregon's defense than there are on offense. But when you look at what they've brought in with the secondary, guys like Jabbar Muhammad from Washington, Cam Alexander, UTSA, Brandon Johnson from Duke, Kobe Savage from Kansas State, all conference players from their previous stops coming to the Ducks to be coached by Dan Lanning and company, who have put together quite the staff, Dan Lanning, Tosh Lupoi, and Will Stein. And that's perhaps the most important part of all of this. You've got the same head coach, offensive coordinator, and co-defensive coordinators. How many places can say that? Oregon hasn't been able to say that in over a decade. I got asked that recently on the show. Last time Oregon had the same offensive and defensive coordinators and head coach from one year to the next, the 2011 and 2012 seasons. After that, there has been a change in at least one of those spots every single year, which is crazy, but that's the reality of being a nationally relevant program. Then it was a program. Now, of course, it's a program under landing, but the same standard applies. When you win at a high level and people know what Oregon football is about, they're going to want to hire your coordinators. And that's been the case for Oregon. But having staff continuity is absolutely huge. And I think their schedule works out pretty well. You know, Oregon's non-conference schedule because they wanted to keep the Civil War going with Oregon State, which I'm a huge fan of, by the way. I think it means a lot to the state of Oregon. I'm a fan of saving tradition and history any chance you can at a time where we're just uprooting the entire sport, it feels like, and restructuring everything that we know about it. I'm a fan of that. And so Oregon has got Boise State on their non-conference schedule. They're going to be a good Mountain West team, by the way. They'll be one of the favorites over there. Oregon State. I don't know if you remember, I do. Oregon State's 0-2, Oregon rather, is 0-2 in, in the Ducks' last two trips to Corvallis. Jonathan Smith isn't there, but Trent Bray is there. They've done a decent job in the transfer portal. I expect Oregon to win the game, but I expected them to win in 2022. I expected them to win in 2020, and they did not. Corvallis is a much tougher place to play than Eugene for the Ducks. Everybody knows that. I don't think I need to go on any further. Idaho is not going to pose any problems, but then when you look at the Big Ten schedule, Oregon does have a couple of breaks, and I think that that's contributing to the number being 10.5 rather than 9.5 as well. But but this win total set by our friends over at FanDuel is indicative of the betting market feels as confident in the Ducks as we feel about the Ducks. Because I think pretty collectively, Oregon fans feel really good. And you know what? They should. They, they absolutely should. Because the offseason moves have addressed needs, they've brought in talent, they've got a bunch of key returners, and it has kind of an all-in sort of feel with guys like Jordan Birch and Jeffrey Bossa coming back. I mean, those are staples. Those are key players on the defense. So I think all of those factors, which I can always go into more detail about, I, I think that that's lining up with Oregon's schedule, which you know starts on the road at UCLA. They just hired their running backs coach to be their head coach to replace Chip Kelly. Ohio State is the biggest, toughest game on Oregon's schedule, and it's at Austin Stadium. It's going to be a tough game. It's going to be a great game, but it's at Austin Stadium, and and that's rather important, shall we say. Michigan on the road, Wisconsin on the road. Those are tough games. Washington, never going to roll over and just give the Ducks a victory. We know that by now. And they've, by the way, made some moves in the transfer portal to make them scarier than they were about a month or two ago. So, I feel good about Oregon. The betting market reflects that. I think Oregon being one of just a handful of teams to have a win total of 10 or above, and and you're in the likes of Ohio State and Georgia 
and Texas, that's a really, really good feeling and, and should solidify the confidence of Duck fans of what the season uh, can be. A couple of housekeeping things. I'll, I'll, I'll do one uh, quickly here. Matthew Johnson committed to the Ducks. Next time I get Brian on the show, uh, we'll do a breakdown there. But that's their latest recruit in the 2025 cycle. He's a four-star edge from De La Salle High School in California, 6'5", 240. Plays a lot on the interior on, on his film, but 6'5", 240 is typically an edge player sort of frame. That's what he's uh, listed as position-wise. We'll talk more about him when when I get Brian on the show because he's a film guy and he's very, very, very good at that sort of stuff, as we all know, as everydayers are aware of. But that is Oregon's first defensive commit in the 2025 cycle. You may be thinking, it's very early. Isn't most of this class going to be built in the summer and maybe early fall? Yes, that that is 100% true. But sometimes early commits stay, sometimes they don't. But this is the first guy. And of course, in typical Dan Lanning fashion, where is the first defensive commit? Along the defensive line. That is the calling card of this recruiting staff. And Tosh Lupoy's got a lot to do with that. He's the D-line coach, but it's clearly a priority. Defensive line, always, always, always building in the trenches. There was another addition to Oregon. This was on the staff side of things. And I'm a fan of it. I'll tell you why I like Ryan Walk coming to the Ducks after I tell you why I like FanDuel, of course. Not just because they said Oregon's line at 10.5, which reinforces what we've been talking about here on the show. Yep, Oregon should be a Big Ten title contender and get into the college football playoff. You can get buckets with your first bet on FanDuel. It's America's number one sports book. Right now, new customers get $150 in bonus bets with any winning $5 bet. That's $150 if your team wins. Bet on all your favorite NBA players and teams with quick bets, live same-game parlays, exclusive props, and more. Just visit FanDuel.com slash LockedOn and shoot your shot. FanDuel.com slash LockedOn to get everything you need. FanDuel official sports partner, sportsbook partner of the NBA. So a coaching staff addition has been made uh, in recent days, weeks, however you want to look at it. I don't remember the exact date. But Ryan Walk has joined Elite Terry staff as kind of a graduate assistant, special assistant. You know, everyone, they just give people titles. Like, he's on the staff. Here's why I'm a fan of this. Number one, well, there are a couple of reasons. Number one, Ryan Walk was a fantastic lineman whilst at Oregon. Number two, I like keeping Oregon guys around. Because they understand what it means to be a part of Eugene. They understand what it means to recruit to Eugene as well because they were recruited there. And understanding that process, I think, is valuable. Number three, Ryan Walk was coached by Mario Cristobal and Alex Mirabal, who didn't always put together the greatest offenses in the world. But what did they do at Oregon and what have they done at Miami? They put together great O-lines. And Ryan Walk was a part of that. Here's the other thing. Ryan Walk... I think is a perfect candidate to be a coach because of his positional versatility. This is a guy who played center guard and tackle at times whilst he was a duck. I mean, that's all of the offensive line positions for those of us keeping track at home. So, you know, I, I don't recall which position he played the most. I want to say guard, but regardless, he was a veteran guy super experienced, not just being on the team, but playing meaningful snaps and understanding all the little the little intricacies of it. He was coached by great offensive line coaches. Now he's under elite Terry's tutelage. 
I, I, I think, I don't know how long Oregon will be able to keep him around, frankly. I think after a year or two, he'll be able to find a bigger role somewhere else because, you know, I, I've heard him do some pod, podcast work. He's a pretty sharp guy, and, and I think that he's just a great candidate to be a coach in some capacity. But anytime you can add somebody like that to the staff, I, I think that can be a recruiting pitch too is having somebody there and present that as an opportunity to an offensive lineman and say, hey, if you succeed here and you decide, you know, you don't want to go pro playing football or you can't play pro, you know, we will give you an opportunity if if everything aligns. And clearly it has here. So I like that. I, I, I like that move for Ryan Walk uh, coming on to the Duck staff under Elite Terry. All right, let's get into the mailbag question. YouTube comments or X formerly known as Twitter at S McLaughlin CFB or at Locked on Ducks DMs, mentions wide open. If you want priority access and you want to become a Locked on Ducks insider, link in the description to join the subtext community. Go join the flock wherever you listen to or watch the show. You can join subtext. You get priority mailbag access. You can talk with me one-on-one, get all sorts of breaking news right to your phone and other perks as well. So this question came in from Brandon. Question for the mailbag. It's interesting because Ohio State the last two years has tried to change their offensive identity. Are they going to stick with that under Chip or revert back to what they were doing two years ago? Ryan Day already ran what Chip does. We beat them in the shoe with those gimmicks. I don't know if I'd call them gimmicks. Ohio State had like 500 yards of offense that day. I don't know. I don't know if that's gimmicky. You know, like they had C.J. Stroud and Chris Olave and Jackson Smith and Jigba. It's pretty good wide receiver room. Was Garrett Wilson there too? He, Garrett Wilson might have been there too. Um, oh gosh, wide receiver you up there at Columbus. Anyway, so are they going to do the same sort of work? I expect them to. So Ryan Day has been the play caller at Ohio State ever since he took over as head coach. He is now giving that up. Chip Kelly is not going to be an advisory OC. He's going to be the play caller. And the reason that it's a great fit is because Day played for Kelly at New Hampshire. Ryan Day has coached under Chip Kelly before, and now Chip Kelly is going to be an OC under Ryan Day. Their offensive philosophies, the way they view the game of football, the way they think you win a game of football are very much aligned. And I think when you look at what Chip Kelly was back at Oregon in the early 2010s compared to what he was at UCLA and what I think he'll be at Ohio State, there are more pro concepts to what he does. It is not exclusively shotgun. It's not exclusively spread you out and run sideline to sideline. There are more power schemes. There's a little bit more physicality to the way that they play football that they did at UCLA. They had physical teams. They ran the football really, really well. I think that's going to continue to be a feature of this Ohio State offense. And Will Howard is their quarterback. Will Howard comes over from Kansas State where he had just an okay season, kind of got pushed out by Avery Johnson, the young freshman for the Wildcats, who Oregon recruited once upon a time. And Howard goes to Ohio State after it looked like he was going to USC. He goes to Ohio State. I think it's a much better fit. Why? Because Howard's most productive season in his career, I think he's about to have it with Ohio State and the weapons they've got and the O-line and the run game. But the best season that Howard had leading a team was 2022. They beat TCU, who went to the national championship game, in the Big 12 title game. And Will Howard was the quarterback of that team. He was good. He was solid. He had a dynamic running back in Deuce Vaughn. And Deuce Vaughn was an absolute gamer. I mean, he was 
Michael James and C.J. Verdell and Jordan James all in one. He he was a fantastic running back. So Will Howard is not someone who fits, I think, very well in an air raid system. It's not when he has succeeded in college. And so Chip coming in, having him at quarterback, you got a veteran guy who can throw the football. I think he's capable of a little bit more than what he's shown statistically in his career. I'm pretty sure he just had his first season over 60% completion, but I think he can do a lot better than that if, if given the proper support. He's got the best running back tandem in the entire country. I love Jordan James and Noah Whittington. I like Jaden Lamar too. They are not Quinshawn Judkins and Travion Henderson. That is, again, James and, and Whittington, Assuming Noah Whittington is at full health, that's probably, I'm just thinking off the top of my head, that's no worse than the top three running back tandem in the Big Ten. I don't know who Donovan Edwards will be paired with at Michigan. He's very good. Oregon is not outside the top three there. But number one is Quinshawn Judkins and Travion Henderson. Judkins was a was a back-to-back 1,000-plus yard uh, guy at, at Ole Miss the last two years. He goes to Ohio State to join Henderson. Judkins is a little bit smaller, a little bit lighter on his feet. Henderson's more the power guy. It's a thunder and lightning sort of combination. It's really, really good. And I think that Chip Kelly is going to have an emphasis on running the football. And you're right that Ohio State has shifted their identity I don't know that they have shifted it offensively as much as they have program-wide. They have tried to become a more physical team. That needed to be a part of their culture because who was beating them, right? Michigan beat them again this year, barely. Oregon beat them in the horseshoe. What's the, what's the hallmark of a Mario Cristobal team? Run the football, pound the rock, and physically beat you in the trenches. Oregon and Michigan were built in the same mold. Michigan, of course, was just better. But that is what was getting these Ohio State teams, and they have shifted that. And so that identity shift for Ohio State is going to to play out in the same way that Chip Kelly kind of shifted his coaching style when he got to UCLA. He realized we need to be a little bit bigger up front. We can't have small, undersized linemen that are just going to pull out on the edge all the time. Got to be able to be physical, run between the tackles. I don't think he's going to run an offense that looks very different from what Ohio State ran a year ago because Ryan Day is still going to have a lot of input. It's not as if Day is just going to be hands off just because he isn't a play caller, but they're going to scheme an offense together. They're going to agree on a lot of the same sorts of principles and looks and personnel packages that they want to run. I think they can get very clever with their personnel, especially with those two running backs, but I don't think that, you know, I, I would describe Ohio State under Ryan Day as, you know, gimmicky or anything like that. I, I think that's a mischaracterization of what Ohio State's been. And and then the question becomes, is Oregon capable of matching up with them? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Fandle's got odds out for, for some big games in college football coming this fall. Uh, a couple notable ones. Georgia minus 12 and a half against Clemson. That game's in Atlanta, but hmm, oh boy. Oregon at Autzen Stadium, minus one and a half against Ohio State. That means Vegas thinks home field gives us the edge by just a tiny little bit. But if it were neutral, Ohio State probably be favored by about a point, point and a half. So I I think that Oregon is well-equipped to match up with Ohio State, no matter what they want to run. If they want to spread it out, go sideline, sideline, or just try to be physical up front, Oregon allowed less than 100 rushing yards a game last year. They were very, very good. Pass defense can improve a little bit, but I think the secondary's gotten better, so it will.
long-winded way to answer that question, but I like the question. I like the side. I like looking around at the different Big Ten teams because it's a new landscape for the Ducks. It's it's new for all of us. It's new for me as well. And I'm talking about a lot of this stuff over at Lockdown College Football too. So I have many uh, thoughts as always. We still have more show to get to. Who said it's February? Not me, although it kind of is. Who said eBay Motors is great? Me. I did. That was me right here. Passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance from superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has got you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. eBay Guaranteed Fit, only available to U.S. customers. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. So I have a question here on my notes from LD about Oregon's wide receivers. Yeah, okay. I'll do both here. I'll do I'll do both these things to to wrap up today's show as planned. Because I went a little long on that answer, but we'll we'll be able to get it done. All right, question from LD. Spencer, in a hypothetical where Evan Stewart plays well enough to declare post-2024 and the mass exodus of Tez, Treshawn, Gary Bryant, T. Ferg, Herbert. What do you expect Oregon's pass catchers to look like in 2025? I'd assume some combination of Dickey, Casper, McClellan, Sadiq. Do you see any shot of a guy like Jack Ressler seeing the field his sophomore year? Thanks. So a couple of names you left out of there from the 2024 class. Ryan Pelham, who Oregon flipped from USC. Dylan Gresham, who is a four-star commit. And you got Jack Ressler in there. Those are the wideouts that Oregon's got in there. Roger Saliapaga is another guy. I want to make sure I'm pronouncing that name correctly. I feel like I just left out a, uh, I feel like I left out a syllable in there. Maybe I did not, but, um, Sali Apaga. Yeah, that's right. Is, is a guy that is 6'4", 220, kind of that Trey Sean Holden, Kenyon Sadiq sort of build, like in between receiver tight end. He's a listed as a wide receiver. I think he's playing to play tight end. I, I don't I don't really know. I think the staff can go either way with him there. If one of those guys between Sali Apaga and Wrestler developed, they could be a part of it. I would be surprised if McClellan or Pelham is not a big part of the offense in 2025. I'd be very surprised. Now the other thing is this room is going to be ripe for a transfer or two. I could absolutely see it. Now this is dependent upon what happens with Jurion Dickey and Kyler Casper, because I think if Casper fails, excuse me, to see the field consistently this year, that could be a guy who who seeks greener pastures. I mean, as the shirt says, the grass is damn green in Eugene, but sometimes guys do find homes where I think they, you know, can see can see the ball more than they would if they stayed with the ducks. So that that's something I'm definitely following this year. Jury on Dickey, 100%. That guy, you know, was committed to Oregon when Mario Cristobal was the head coach. I don't expect him to be a transfer candidate, even if he's, you know, second on the two deep this year. But I think Dickey plays a pretty sizable role offensively, at least compared to what he did last year. He's battling an injury and such. But I expect him at least to be on the field regularly and, you know, catch some passes, maybe have a couple hundred yards and a touchdown or two. But I think 2025 is when Dickey could really pop as, as a wide receiver. 
Kenyon Sadiq should be Oregon's number three tight end this year. I think he's ready to do that next year. Yeah, he could be the number one. He he is that talented of a guy. If he turns into the blocker that T Ferg has become, Kenyon Sadiq could be an NFL sort of tight end, just like Terrence Ferguson is going to be, because he he is a dynamic athlete. So I look at Sali Apaga and say, does he slide to tight end? I'd also look at Kenyon Sadiq and say, that's probably your number one. Would they add a transfer in that group? Probably. I, I, I would think so. I think pass catchers, they, they could certainly go that route. You know, Jack Ressler is a guy that uh, is not super highly recruited. Doesn't mean he's not going to have an opportunity to play. I don't expect him to with the guys that he's going to attempt to beat out. But I, I'd say tentatively, your 2025 lineup is a transfer. Jurion Dickey, Casper, McClellan, Sadiq, maybe Sali Apaga, and a tight end, and a tight end transfer. I, I'd say those are probably uh, your, your your top guys there. Okay, I wanted to share this thought because it's something that I just can't shake, and it, it pertains to Oregon basketball. So, and Folly Dante has been a, a big time presence for Oregon over the last several years. He's unfortunately struggled to stay healthy. When he is healthy. He is a force. I mean, he is a double-double waiting to happen. He's a tremendous defensive player. He does a lot, a lot of really good things for the Ducks. He's not a shooter like Nate Biddle is, who hopefully will be back this week. Oregon's off on Thursday. They play at Oregon State on Saturday. You know, I, I, I'm just a sucker for basketball, so I will, um, you know, get sucked back in with every win. We'll, we'll see. We'll, we'll, we'll see how they, how they finish the season. Um, but. This question, and I want to make this very clear because I don't want this to come off as like I'm attacking the kid or I think he's no good or anything like that. I think that Oregon has an Enfali Dante problem. Notice I did not say a problem with Enfali Dante. It's an Enfali Dante problem. Why do I think this? Well, Oregon has played 24 games this year. They're 16 and 8. With Dante in the lineup, they're 5 and 5, and they're 11 and 3 without him there. Now, to be fair, all ten, or nine of Dante's 10 games that he's played have come against Pac-12 schools, and the other game was against Georgia, who's a solid team in in the SEC. Oregon without him this year, 11-3, 4-0 in Pac-12 play. In the 10 games, this is the crux of my argument and why I think this is a conundrum, and I don't think this comes down on the players as much as it is, it comes down on the coaches. And Dana Ullman talked about this in, in the post-game chat recently after the crushing loss to Washington State. In the 10 games that Enfali Dante has played this year, Oregon's averaging just, averaging just under 75 points per game. They're averaging about three and a half points per game more without him. Now, the defense is where Dante's presence is really, really felt. In the three losses that Oregon's had without Dante in the lineup, they allowed 90 points per game in those three losses to Syracuse, Alabama, and Santa Clara, my alma mater. On the year, they allow 72.5 points per game. And, and this past week, it was a great defensive effort, and Dante was a huge part of it. His rebounding is, is tremendous. But here's my point. I think that when Enfali Dante is on the floor, the offense doesn't know how to move the ball. And this is something I fully put on the coaching staff, but it is absolutely a problem. Oregon put up 56 points. Yeah, they missed some open threes. That'll happen. But the number of times that they turned it over, which is what Altman was talking about, forcing the ball down to Enfali Dante, it's the reason that back to the basket centers 
have been moved out of the NBA. They, they don't have a role. They don't get touches because it's hard to get them the ball, which makes it a stagnant possession and not the most efficient way to score. And so I think that when he is on the court, because he is capable of enforcing his will, Oregon has a tendency to try and force him the basketball and it stalls the offense and guys get out of rhythm and the numbers back that up. They don't average as many points per game without him in the lineup as they do, or they don't average as many points per game with him in the lineup as they do when he hasn't been in the lineup. And this is not a small sample size. This is a 10-game sample size and a 14-game sample size. So I think that for the Ducks, what they have to figure out is how to limit the number of times they try to go in a post-entry pass. Because a post-up, when a double team can come, and Dante's an average passer, I'd say, when the double team comes over, Oregon's offense doesn't respond very well. So if the other team decides to double, then that pass is nullified, and you've now wasted about eight seconds of the shot clock. Well, suddenly you have to force, and then bad shots, and then and, then, and this can just snowball over and over again. And the coaching staff has got to make an adjustment because the players are trying too hard to get him the ball one-on-one in a post-up, and we're acting like it's the only way to get the ball down low to a big man or to get him the ball around the rim. It's not. There are not enough pick and rolls that see Dante setting a screen, which he's very good at because he's a huge human being. He's crazy athletic. You can throw it up to him at the rim. How many times does Enfali Dante catch a lob dunk? I don't know that I've seen one in the last three games. He needs to be working offensively the way Kenny Wooten used to work and Jordan Bell. But because he's a little bit more offensively skilled than those guys and he's bigger than those guys, both Dana Altman, the staff, and the players have this desire to try and force the ball to him. And it stalls the offense, and then shooters aren't in a rhythm. And it does not produce the best version of Oregon basketball that I have seen this year. So I'm not going to sit here and say that I can give you the X's and O's schematic fix for how to do that. But you watch an or go watch the Washington State game and the number of times they stand around, no one is moving, and they're just trying to get Dante a post up down low. When it works, it's great. And you're like, oh man, how come we don't do that every time? Because it's not that easy, even for a guy as big, skilled, and experienced and athletic as Enfali Dante. He cannot be the focal point of an offense. And if Oregon is going to make a run to get to the NCAA tournament and end the two year drought, They have to allow Dante to be a complimentary piece and allow him to just enforce his will on the offensive glass and get his points on lob dunks and putbacks. That's where 80% of his points should come from. Instead, they try to go to the post-up. Watch the NBA. How many back-to-the-basket centers that don't shoot are getting a lot of touches? They're not. Go watch the rest of college basketball. How many times is that happening? They're not. They're, they're not doing it the rate that Oregon does. That's the Enfali Dante problem. Again, this is a coaching issue, not a player issue. I love Dante. I don't think they are using him correctly in the context of this team. I hope that changes. Appreciate everyone listening. I'll see you next time. Have a wonderful rest of your day. And as always, go Ducks.